Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. There's a lot to see in the birth of Christ. We see the baby in the manger, we see the animals in the stable, we see the magi in their gifts. But what we often don't see is the larger battle in which his birth was a part that eventually led to his death for our sins and the resurrection that brings us eternal life. Lead teacher Randy Pope brings us this message entitled The Unseen Christmas and the Lord's Table. Thank you for joining us today. We've been in a study now for several weeks, about uh, two months or so, uh, that uh, I've entitled The Unseen. It's been a series that's dealt with the unseen world, as we call it, the angelic world. And what we're going to do today, having brought that series to a completion, I thought it might be good to attach the series and things we've been learning to the story of Christmas. Because there is an unseen story about Christmas Day. Now, as we do that, we're then going to tie both Christmas and the unseen to the Lord's table, which is before you. And my prayer has been that this is going to be a very, very, very special day, that the table will mean more to you today than perhaps any other time. And I hope, because of an unseen visit that you have with God today, this would be an appropriate way to end the series and to launch us again into Christmas. So as we do, I thought it might be important to uh, kind of start where we started. We started this series by addressing the question, do you believe in the unseen? We all do to some degree. I would imagine if you're here, there may be a few exceptions. But probably all of us say, well, we believe in the unseen. To what degree we believe in the unseen? To what degree we believe that we can count on the goodness of the unseen and our God and his angels and versus uh, the things we need to be concerned about with the, with the harm that the unseen world from the demonic side presents us? Some people say, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Other people, I think so. Some people extremely believe it. We're all over the board here, I'm sure. Even as I address the question, do we believe in the unseen, I was thinking about some of the unseen stories of my life. And one came to mind that, uh, that I'll share here. I, I've shared it only one time in all the years, and it was with a small group of people. So I'm sure most of you have never heard the story, but we were moving into this facility in 96. And I'd been on an extended fast for quite a while, and uh, leading up to that, asking God to meet us here as we open the new facilities into the community. And and I'd had some very special times with God and a lot of time walking and talking with him and, and hearing God in one respect, one time uh, in a very unusual way that uh, was very uncommon for me. And so it was, a, it was a very important time in the life of this church. The day that we opened these facilities was a, uh, was a morning after which I had broken the fast the night before. And without thought, though usually I would have to stand up and kind of get my balance because uh, not eating for a while, I... Uh, I uh, just jumped up, and as I did, I passed out, and the next thing I know, I hear Carol screaming to me, and wake up, wake up, and I find my face in a pool of blood, and I have hurt myself fairly significantly. I'd cut my ear deeply behind, the, behind my ear and across my eyebrow and just had a few cuts, but I'd, I'd landed into a piece of furniture when I fell, and, and uh, so it could have been much worse, obviously, but I had to get to the hospital and get stitched up before the very first service opening this church. So I didn't want anybody to know. I didn't want it to be a distraction. And so we did everything we would to cover it up where it couldn't be seen. And for the most part, I don't think anybody noticed it. 
But uh, we were about a week after that going to have our celebration where we dedicated this facility. And so we were here to dedicate and, and all excited about that. And I shared the story then of what happened during that week. I got a phone call from a lady in our church, uh, not a close social friend, but uh, a lady in the church who said, uh, are you okay? I thought maybe it was because some weight loss or perhaps maybe she'd seen something of my fall. She had not seen anything like that. And she said, I just uh, have to know if you're okay. And uh, I said, why do you ask? And she said, well, the reason I ask is because last Saturday night, in the middle of the night, I was awakened very strangely as if God were stirring me to get up and to pray for you. I didn't know why. I didn't know. But it was as if you were... You had some special need or concern. There was some problem, and I had to pray for you. I didn't want to disturb my husband, so I got up and uh, left the, the bedroom, not noticing that he wasn't even in the bed, because when I got in the living area, there was my husband in the middle of the night. And I said, well, what are you doing awake? He said, well, the strangest thing, I got awakened as if God were saying, pray for Randy. I, I just, uh, something that may be a need or concern or something like that. And, and I, I just wonder, was there any reason that we should be praying for you? Or is it, are you okay? And so forth and so on. Well, I, I shared the story of what had happened. I said, I think I know. I think it's the story of the unseen. I think God had stirred your hearts to pray knowing that something was to happen to me and, and that maybe there was needed the protection and care and the prayer, God uses prayer. Who knows? So that Sunday evening, when we did our celebration a week later, I told that story. What is amazing is afterwards, nine other people came up and said, I was awakened in the middle of the night, Saturday evening, to pray for you. A total of 11 people. One of them, one of our elders, came up and said, I bet it was at 5 o'clock in the morning you fell, wasn't it? I said, I know it was at 5 because my alarm went off at 5, and that's what got me up, and I stood up immediately that very second. He said, I knew it. I was awakened at 5 in the morning as if I had to pray for you right now. Could that just be coincidence? It could be. I don't think it is. I think we're talking about the unseen. There's a very, very real unseen. Now, what I like to do is just to kind of bring back the, the bigger picture of everything we covered and do it in a very brief, brief time period. I'm going to just touch on the six areas that we've covered over this time. If you have not been a part of the series and would like to, uh, you can certainly pick up anything you like free of charge. Uh, just go to our website and uh, just, you know, you can podcast what we have here. Let me put the six areas that we've covered and just say a comment or two about them. First of all, the angelic world. And we talked about the good side, the bad side, all about the angelic world. You know, I will add to the stories that uh, I told then. There was a man in our church who was a, uh, a little older, not very old, but uh, maybe, you know, 30s uh, or so, a single, and, uh, but uh, had wanted to be married and met this very attractive and wonderful woman that uh, was in our church. And uh, they got engaged to be married. It was planning toward marriage or whatever, and she broke his heart and broke it off and said, I, I, I don't think this is the right thing. And, and he was grieving. He was hurting so deeply. Some of you have gone through such a broken engagement or divorce or whatever, and you know the pain of, of such. And so anyway, uh, he went away to a friend's place that was on the coast uh, of Florida. I don't know where and so forth, but he said it was very, very remote. And he said it was a place I could get alone, just be with the Lord and pray and just walk through a, a very hard time for me. And, and so I was in there just grieving and hurting. And, and, uh, 
And about that time, the door knocked. I heard the knock at the door. I thought, of all places, there were no other f- buildings or homes around us. It was very remote, out on the, out on the sand where this place was uh, near the beach. And said, uh, I go to the door, and there's a stranger. I've never seen the person. They didn't introduce themselves. And all I said was, what can I do for you? And he said, I'm here to give you a message. And he said, what's the message? He said, I'm here to tell you that you're going to be okay. Just trust. You're going to be okay. And he was startled. He said, well, message from whom? And he said, I just need to give you that message. And the person turned away and walked off. He closed the door. And after thinking just a quick moment, he said, you know what? I got to figure out who this is. This is too strange. So he opens the door and he said that you could see as far as you wanted. Certainly he hadn't walked into the ocean. And beyond that, it was nothing but sand and distance between them. He said, I never saw a person. Couldn't find an individual. And he said, could that have been an angel? Well, what do you think I said? I said, oh, why couldn't it be an angel? I mentioned Billy Graham's book on angels, and you'll see story after story just like that that I think probably quite verified for Billy Graham, of all people, to to be writing such a book. So uh, the angelic world, very real. We talked about it and its uh, realities. Then we talked about the uh, evil commander-in-chief. We talked about Satan a bit. With the great concern that we not get so focused on Satan that we go to bed with nightmares and concerns and all that. And there I introduced a theme that I've underscored and underscored and underscored. And that is 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world, right? So we've talked about that, his origin and uh, his limitations and all the things that he's trying to accomplish and so forth, his abilities and such. Then we turn to Satan's allies, And I described the three allies, one the sea beast, uh, dealing with the uh, economic and uh, government, other power structures that exist. We talked about the false prophet, uh, the uh, religions and philosophies of the world and how they tend to line up with the ways of the evil one and so forth and his use of those. Uh, We talked about uh, the great harlot the use of seduction and riches and materialism and all that sort of thing. And, and as the scriptures talk about how these are pawns in the hands of, of the evil one. So we talked about all of that. Having done that, we talked about the evil one's strategy. And we talked about his strategy to, uh, to tempt and to deceive. And then we talked about how he is uh, always trying to accuse us. And it's that time that I introduced a theme that I repeated and repeated and repeated to the point that I was getting concerned week to week saying, are they going to get tired of hearing me say this? And I kept repeating the realities of being covered in the righteousness of Christ. Uh, There are a few things that we can think about and talk about more important than how his righteousness covers us. Instead of the shame and the guilt that comes in our being sinful people. Instead, we have a total different perspective, and we start thinking in terms of that sin being covered by the righteousness of Christ and all the implications of that. We'll come back to that at the table in just a few minutes. Then we talked about, lastly, we talked about the, uh, the Christian armor, The armor of God, as we call it, the six pieces and how they relate to various temptations and concerns that we have in life. Uh, One of our dearest friends have been in the church for many, many years. I made a comment uh, recently to to me a week or so ago that that maybe of all the messages that they remembered in 30 or so years here, that was one that was most important to them in terms, they said, I've listened to it over and over and over because that is so vitally important for, for this person individually. Well, it's certainly a very important subject matter. So we covered that. Then we concluded last week 
with the subject matter of the uh, spiritual war zones. And here we talked about those places that we can easily find ourselves, whether intentioned or not, we can find ourselves inviting communion with demons. That's a subject matter that uh, sprung a lot of interest and attention. I spoke specifically to the youth and underscored for our young people, be very, very careful. Don't you just look at your intentions and where you're going, but look at where you're going with what reality is. And there I quote again a Hodge that I quoted last week. I want to say this one more time. It says it was, now this is him commentating. This is Charles Hodge, one of the great commentators of all time. And he's commentating on the, on the Corinthians passage, 1 Corinthians 10, that we had just studied. And uh, this is the idea of how by going to these feasts, even though your intention was not to do anything with demons or anything like that, but just to go to the feast where this meat had been offered to idols, and the feasts were oriented for the purpose of pleasure and fun around that idolic nature, and this is what he says. It was of great importance for the Corinthians to know that it did not depend on their intention whether they came into communion with devils. The heathen did not intend to worship devils. And yet they did it. What would it avail, therefore, to the reckless Corinthians who attended the sacrificial feasts of the heathen to say that they did not intend to worship idols? The question was not what they meant to do, but what they did. Not what their intention was, but what was the import and effect of their conduct. A man need not intend to burn himself when he puts his hand into the fire. Or to pollute his soul when he, when he frequents the haunts of vice. So great uh, subject matter is we're going to come to the table. Because we're going to find out in a minute. To be coming to the table is to put us in the presence of God. Even as to go to these feasts would put us in communion with the demonic. To come to the table correctly will put us in communion with God. And so that pretty much covered the subject matters. But I'm going to... Close it out of the review by looking one more time at the three cautions that I made, particularly to our youth in mind, but to all. And here they are. Number one, spiritual war zones can include activities that appear harmless. Number two, to participate in such war zones puts one in contact with demons. Three, to be exposed to such war zones typically leads to broken fellowship with the Lord. And then we talked about, from my opinion, what some of the modern-day war zones are for us and for our children. Now, having done that, I want us to turn our attention to the Christmas story. We've got a little reminder of the series. Let's talk for a minute about the unseen and Christmas, just so that we may get just a little bit different perspective this year. Uh, you know, you can, take a, you, you can look at something from one angle and see it a little bit different and then see it from another angle. It doesn't change it, but it makes it just come across a little differently. Well, this year, I'd like for you to maybe look at Christmas from the perspective of the unseen. And so if you have your Bibles, if you will, be turning with me to Matthew chapter 2. This is uh, the account of the birth of Jesus. As you're finding the text, the background here is Jesus has been born in a city called, or a town called Bethlehem. The king at that time is Herod. Herod is a very wicked king. Magi from the east, as most of you know the story, uh, they've been looking for the one, quote, the one born king of the Jews. 
And so uh, they come looking. The star from the east carries them to this place. They come in looking, and as they are looking, they want to worship this newborn. At that time, Herod understands what's happening, and he gets very concerned. Now, you know what's odd about this, by the way? You know Herod, very wicked man, but do you know that Herod had no children to give his kingship to? I mean, it was going to end with him, so it's not like he was afraid that his, his dear son, his beloved, would not get the throne if there's another born king of the Jews. That wasn't the issue at all. He just was jealous. This is a baby being born, and here he is in his adulthood. How much time does he have left anyway? But for whatever reason, he doesn't want it. And so he calls his chief priests, and he says, can you help me understand this one to be born king of the Jews? The priests know the word of God, and they come back with Micah chapter 5 verse 2, and they say, it says in Micah that this king would be born in Bethlehem. And so with that, he says, ah, I'll, I'll have my opportunity to take the life of this little one. I'll stop this from happening. Here's where we pick up in verse 7 of chapter 2. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. We know that's not the case. After hearing the king, they went their way. And the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Christ, his mother, the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And listen to this. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, knowing the intention of Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now, what we've just read there is what meets the eye. We can see and read the story. If we were there, we'd be able to see what took place. It's all on the front side of the stage curtains. That's the story that we know. But if we were to go behind the scenes and see the unseen to mankind, then we would see that there was something else developing during that time. It happens to be Christmas from the perspective of the unseen. And so to see that, I'm going to have you turn with me to one other passage, and that's in Revelation chapter 12. It's a text we briefly looked at during this season, but I want to go back to it now in light of Christmas. Revelation chapter 12. There's a book written as a commentary on the book of Revelation that many of you have heard me underscore through the years. I think it's the finest, the very best. It's by William Hendrickson called More Than Conquerors. If you want to have a great, great, great study in the book of Revelation, you just get that commentary and read through it. It gives us great insights. These are some of them. Let's read, first of all, verses 1 and 2. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. During the series, I commented on this, suggesting that the woman 
that is referred to here is referring to the collection of God's kingdom, the people of God called the kingdom, the church, literally. Now, there are many reasons why we believe that to get into deeper study, but uh, as it's described in our text, you see the sun referring to how she's glorious and exalted. You see the moon, which uh, talks about the exercise of dominion. Uh, you see that uh, the wreath of stars, that she's victorious. And so just ways of describing this, the, the collective people of God known as the church. Though the church is ridiculed by the world, God sees her in her glory and in her honor, in her, in her beauty, in her splendor. That's the way God sees his church. Remember? She's covered in the righteousness of her son, Jesus. The child that we read about in the text, the child obviously referring to Christ, about to give birth. The kingdom is about to give birth to its, to its redeemer, the, the Christ child. In verse 5, in the next few verses, uh, we'll be reading the words, the rod of iron, which in Psalm 2 is obviously prophetically talking about the Messiah to come. And so we know that the child, the male child, is the Christ. Now we come to verses 3 through 5. It reads like this, Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven, and they threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So the great red dragon, obviously referring to the devil, seven heads and ten horns, his destructive power, the seven diadems, the uh, uh, world dominion that he's been given as a vicegerency under, under God's authority and leadership. He talks about a third of the stars from heaven, more than likely referring to uh, the angels that were cast, the vast number of evil angels that uh, were cast out of the heavens. And then uh, talks about being called up to God and to his throne, obviously the resurrection and the ascension. All of that on this Christmas to have us just look at Christmas from a little different perspective. Think about it this way. It's, there's no doubt there is no salvation for you or for me. There would be no salvation were it not for Easter. If Jesus didn't die for our sins, there would be no Easter if there were no Christmas. If the evil one, in his attempt to derail your and my salvation, had accomplished the task of what we see behind the scenes, waiting to devour but God didn't allow it. And Jesus made it through his life to live a perfect and holy life so that he might die, that we might have a perfect and holy life. That's the story of Christmas. In fact, instead of Christmas this year just being a celebration of Christ's birth, maybe we think a little differently this year. It reminds us of all the truths of the unseen and maybe what we do is we think of this being a celebration of Christ's survival. That the evil one didn't have his way. Evil as the evil one did not have his way in your and my life. 
And just as greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Just a little different perspective as you look at the Christmas story. But this service today is about coming to the table. I would have attached it to the service last week. Ideally, when we're talking about communion with the demons, how you can go to war zones and be in communion with the demons. But the great news is we can come here to the table zone, the table of God, and we're in communion with our God. It's just that real. I'd like, if you would, to think with me as we approach the table now. Three great truths underscored by this table in light of everything we've looked at over these last couple of months. Here they are. Number one, it's that text in 1 John 4, 4, one final time. I'm going to slip it to you one more time. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. That's the point. Don't ever forget it. What the table does is it it causes us to be reminded that we are taking of these elements representing the blood and the, and the flesh of our Savior, and we are taking it and consuming it so it becomes a part of us. Well, what a great reminder is, greater is he that's in us. Not is he just in us, but he is so great that we shouldn't, we shouldn't ever have a nightmare about about the devil. We shouldn't have fears about the evil one and what he's going to do. No, 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 no. Because he lives in us, Christian. Greater is he that's in us than he's in the world. That needs to play over our minds and our thinking over and over and over again. Greater is he than the evil one. That's what I want you to remember when we come to the table. I want you to talk to the Lord about that in your time of preparation and after you take it, just to think for a minute about greater is he. What do you want to say to him about that? Thank you. Lord, remind me. I don't know, but just talk to him about that. Number two, as believers, we're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. This is the theme that I have I have underscored over and over these last three or four weeks. I just keep saying the same thing. You know why? Because most Christians do not think about the righteousness of Christ. It's not a part of their, uh, of their mental image of themselves that they carry the righteousness of Christ. More of us carry shame and guilt than we do the honor that comes with knowing that we're covered. And so uh, what we think about is, I follow Jesus. That's where we land. That's so many of us. Uh, what do you think about you as a Christian? Well, I follow Jesus because if you don't follow, you're not a follower. And I believe that with all my heart. I stress that to people that I'm witnessing to. Look, you're not a follower unless you follow. That's the nature of being a follower. And I'll tell you this, if you're not following, it's only because you hate it that you're in sin, you know it, and you resist it. You're going, oh, I'm fighting over it, but I want to follow even if I'm not following well right now. One thing for sure, if you're a real follower, you're moving in this direction. You may be straying to the left, and you may be straying to the right, but you're a follower. You're not going this way any longer. That's all gone. And so now we've got to be thinking, no, oh, I'm following Jesus. How well am I doing? How poorly am I doing? He loves me as much as I'm following well. He doesn't love me if I'm not following. No, we need to get rid of all of that thinking and say, he loves me because I have the righteousness of Christ that I carry as a clothing as such that I just, I'm covered. 
Do I sin? Yes, but the sin is covered. Does the Lord hate our sin? Yes, he does, but it's covered. I went back to the story of Adam and Eve. What happens when they sin? They felt shame. They felt guilt. They wanted to hide themselves. They made clothing to try to cover themselves, not realizing that the only thing that's going to cover their sin is not their own clothing, but the righteousness of Christ. And so I just underscored it and underscored it. And now I want the table to underscore that. While you're holding the elements, maybe your time, part of it's spent just saying, Lord, thank you for the righteousness of Christ. Remind me of the righteousness of Christ. Don't let me go through accusations as if I'm, you know, I'm a, a second-class citizen because of the sin of. No, I am in the grace of God covered by his righteousness. May that be a second truth that's underscored. And just to help us do that, I'm going to have us sing a song before we come to the table. This is a song that most all here are familiar with. Not this tune. This is a very special tune to me. I just love this particular way of saying it. But it's the words of this song that will so resonate in your hearts and minds. I want you to sing it with me. It's called Rock of Ages. Many of you know the, the story. We're going to sing only the first three verses, but particularly as you come to verse 3, don't miss the words. We thank you that you've closed us with that righteousness, and may we, even as we come to the table, may we be mindful of that. Now more than ever, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Take your seats. And by the way, if you're here without the righteousness of Christ, you go to the cross, you see his love and his work for you on your behalf, and when you sense that, I understand it, and you want it. It's because God has put a love in your heart. And that's when you find it, I'll tell you. That's when you come to know it. There's a third truth, though, that I want to underscore as we come to the table. And this really is so vitally important. To invite God's grace and to have our faith enhanced as a result of being brought into contact and communion with God and thus to be blessed. What we want to do as we come to the table we want to think about greater is he that's in us. We want to think about the righteousness of Christ. But maybe we take just a minute or so, we think about this reality, that we want to say, Lord, I invite your grace. Unseen. Do I believe there are angels? Do I believe there's grace to be given? Do I believe not only the grace, do you think that because of this, that God's truth might be real and our faith would be enhanced. We could say, Lord, would you enhance my faith? Right now, I'm not trusting you much in this arena or that arena. I, I just don't have the faith. Would you give it to me as I commune with you? Or maybe just the thought to be blessed. Who doesn't want to be blessed by God? That should be our great hope of all hopes. God bless me. And he will. No better time to come and ask him than when you're in communion with him in a special way here at the table. Charles Hodge, I've quoted him before, I'll quote him again now. Now I'm talking about the table. We've talked about, oh, the danger of going into the other war zones, communion with the demonic. A man cannot eat of the bread of the demons without being brought under the power and influence. Nor can we eat of the table of the Lord without being brought into contact with him, either to our salvation or our condemnation. If we come thoughtlessly, without any desire after communion with Christ, 
We eat and drink judgment to ourselves. That's an important statement. I'm going to read it again. If we come thoughtlessly, without any desire after communion with Christ, we eat and drink judgment to ourselves. But if we come with a humble desire to obey our divine master and to seek his presence, we cannot fail to be welcomed and what? Blessed. There it is. Do you see why this can be so vitally important? I leave those three truths with you to be underscored as we come to the table. You use one or two or three or something else. But remember, this is a picture. The picture is to remind you. That's what a picture, that's why this is called a remembrance. Jesus said, take this in remembrance of me. I know you've heard the detail of the story if you've been through our membership. Some of you so many years ago, just a reminder to kind of stir the heart a little bit about a picture. I tell the story of my dad who I had not seen for many years. No picture, nor been near him, nor seen him. Uh, circumstances beyond that I've tell him the story, but the point was I hadn't seen him for many years, and I'd been very, very close to him. And I find a picture of him. When I see that picture without thought, I look at it. No emotion. I just take the picture. I say, oh, picture of my father. I look at it, and I can't explain it except it started here, and it lodged right here in the throat. And I got emotional. Why? Well, you know what I saw? I saw me diving off his shoulders in a public swimming pool when I was a little kid. Where did that picture come from? Didn't need that picture. The picture I had reminded me of other pictures. That's what the table is all about. We're going to stare at it. We're going to taste it. We're going to take it. It's going to represent his blood and his flesh. We're going to take it. It's going to remind us that he died for us. It's going to remind us the pain and the agony and the suffering. So our mind gets engaged to begin with. It starts in the mind. We remember the cross. And then maybe our emotions get engaged as we relive the anguish that he went through for us. And for sure, we got to make sure that, that the, the will begins to grab hold because it's there that we recommit our vows. And I like to spend my last moment before this service is over, whenever we take the table and say, Lord, my vows, I made a vow to follow you. I want to recommit my vow to you now. I want you to just hear me make my commitment. That's a great way to spend around the table. Whatever, it's a picture to remind you. And you may remember his love, his forgiveness, his whatever. But just stare at the picture. Spend a little time. It's not much, but spend the time communing with God. And expect his grace, your faith to be enlarged, and him to bless you. That's what happens at the table. I'm going to pray. The table will be prepared for us, and we'll prepare our hearts now as we come to the table. Let's bow. Our Father in heaven, we now come to you and we want to, we want to take this table in a way that's going to honor you. And Lord, we want to be mindful of your teaching of Scripture that it says who is to come to the table and we want to come if we are appropriate to come. As we do, we want you to, we want you to remind us of these great truths and the greatness of who you are in us. The amazement of the realities of covered in your righteousness. The great truth that through this table we commune with you and find blessing, grace, enhanced faith. 
God, remind us of whatever you want to remind us of. But when it's all said and done, may we renew our covenant with you. And may we be all the more in love with you, even from this time of having dinner with you. Blessed we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The Lord says, come to the table. Welcome, come. But those that should come should be those who are Christians, true Christians, and those who have been declared by someone other than yourself to give evidence of being one. In other words, you don't just say, I'm in love, but you've come into a marriage relationship with the church. And that's, that's when you come into partnership with the church. This is really to be give, given to the people of the church, not just this church, but any church. I know some people disagree, and maybe, as I always say, maybe we're wrong. If so, if you have a strong conviction, otherwise you follow your heart and conviction. But know this, you're invited and urged to come. And if you got this little saying, oh, I'm feeling, oh, no, 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 I'm too, uh, I'm struggling right now. I shouldn't come to the table. Well, if you're struggling in an effort to surrender, you come to the table. If you're saying, uh-uh, my struggle is I'm just running and saying no, that's when you wouldn't come. But I hope you will come. Come to the table. If you can't come to the table, not appropriate to come to the table, it doesn't mean the table's not for you. It's for you to observe, and through the observance, may you be reminded the great love that's being offered at all times, okay? The Lord said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, thank you for the reminder. Thank you for the blessing. And we walk out of here covered in your righteousness. Or Lord, we come leaving this place inviting. Would you cover us soon? May we come to know you even before the end of this year. May we come to know you if we don't. Thank you for hearing our prayers. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, I love the realities. I'm sitting there. Maybe your emotions engage. Maybe they don't in a time like this. But you know what we just taught was that these folks that walk into the heathen feasts, the dinners, whether they intend, whether they think it, whether they feel anything about the gods, they're in communion with the demonic because of that kind of environment and so forth. Isn't it great to know that regardless, we've been in the environment of God and that uh, who knows what's happened for us because we've been here. You don't have to have a, had an experience, an emotional experience. You have had an experience. You've met with God if you've come to the table. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.